Well, hey, you're back. Um, thanks for tuning in again. To be honest, I know that my last episode was very um, emotional. I was very much in my feelings. And I think that while it is important to address feelings and it is important to be able to express even while you're feeling them, I know for me, when I'm overwhelmed with feelings, even when I'm communicating, it can be hard for me to really dig deeper. And so for this episode, I wanted to be able to dig deeper, but I know for me, I needed a couple days to cool off and not even cool off because I'm still very much upset but to process my feelings and my emotions and let them move through me before I could do this next part and I think it would be good at the beginning of the beginning of this episode if we could take 90 seconds or so and have a little bit of silence so that we together, as in me and you, whoever is listening to this, can take a moment and tune into ourselves and into our bodies and get grounded because we are going to talk about some heavy stuff and I'm probably going to bring up some things that might make you uncomfortable. But the goal is not necessarily to trigger you to the point where you can't act or speak. My hope is that you'll be able to move beyond whatever feelings come up for you and see the root of what's going on. So before we get into any of that, I want to take some time. I'm going to do 90 seconds and we're just going to be in silence and some things you could do during the silence you can definitely do some diaphragmatic breathing if you want to but you don't have to one thing i like to do when i'm trying to tune into myself is i will focus on different parts of my body and relaxing them so i constantly have to remind myself throughout the day to unclench my jaw or to relax my shoulders and or to uncurl my toes you know, so maybe scanning your body during this time. Another thing you could do is just drink some water. Um, for me, I just took a little bit of CBD oil to calm myself down. And one final thing I'll mention, but you don't have to do any of these things. You can literally just sit here in silence if you want to. These are just suggestions. And the last thing I'll mention is that there's something I like to do uh, not only with children, because I've been working with children for over a decade now, but also with myself whenever I'm feeling overwhelmed by emotions or about to have a panic attack. I'll do this thing, and I refer to it as like the five-step grounding technique, but I don't know if that's exactly what it's actually called. And if you can go outside, I say it's preferable, but if you can't, just finding somewhere that's quiet or kind of away from other people is good and then I will either sit down lay down or just try and get into a position that's comfortable for me 
and then I will find five things that I can see and I'll focus on them. And then after I found those five things, I will find four things that I can hear and then I will find three things that I can smell and then two things that I can touch and one thing that I can taste. And usually by the end of doing all of that, and you don't have to get up and do it, you can also just be seated there and looking and saying, oh, I see that thing over there in your mind or out loud, or oh, I hear that thing over there, you don't have to go find it. But usually when I get to the end of those tasks, I feel a lot calmer and a lot more grounded. And if I don't, then I'll just do it again. So before we go into this 90 second silence, I just want to say, do whatever you feel would be good for you to do so that you can feel in tune with your body and feel grounded and feel connected to your emotions in a safe way. Alrighty, so I'm going to set this timer and we'll have our little moment of silence and then I'll be right back. So how are you feeling? Hopefully more grounded, hopefully more in tune with your body, hopefully your mind is a little bit calmer, but if not, that's okay. If you want, you can pause this episode and take some more time if you'd like to, because it really is important to me that you feel grounded and able to fully process whatever emotions that you're bringing into this beforehand. The way I see it, 
If we want to get to the root of an issue, we have to be willing to dive deeper. And when you have all of these big emotions and these overwhelming feelings there, doing what they're supposed to do, alarming you to the fact that, you know, something is not okay or that you don't feel safe or that you're feeling, you know, whatever you're feeling, they can kind of make it tricky to go deeper because it hurts or it's very uncomfortable. But when you deal with those emotions, which are really just the symptom of what's going on, it can make it easier for you to get to the root of what's actually going on, get to the root of what the issue is, and only then can things change. And if we're talking about with what's going on in our country right now, yeah, we need to be able to get to the root of the issue. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert and I can pick out what it is by any means. Um, because there are experts who do that and they can, you know, clue us into what's going on on a macro level and how it's affecting all of us across the nation and across the world. But I feel like it's also really important to start talking about what's going on on a micro level, what's going on day to day in intimate settings and as a person of color, which, by the way, the things I'm going to discuss here today, with a little bit of critical thinking, they can easily be applied to other types of marginalized groups and their struggles. So this is, while we're going to be talking about race, um, what I talk about here, the things that I bring up here with regards to being an ally or being a person of color or, you know, whatever, the any suggestions that I bring up, any things that I bring attention to, please understand that they can also be applied to other situations like the struggle and the concerns and the worries that come with being uh, of one gender versus another, being, you know, somebody who has an exceptionality versus being somebody who's able-bodied, classism, all of those things, you know, homophobia, all of it. But right now we're talking about race. So I'm going to give examples and my conversational speech is going to be focused on that. But at the end of the day, yes, it can be applied to other things. So I am choosing to bring up things that are happening and suggestions for ways to improve the micro level of things, the community level of things, the family interactions, the friend interactions, the job situations, the one-on-one hangout situations, because I feel like it is time to recognize that this change is going to have to happen within us as individuals first, and in the micro level, as in within our friend groups, within our work groups, within our families, within our communities, it's going to have to go from there outward for it to be lasting. And in order to do that, you have to start with the individual. And in order to to do that, 
You have to be willing as an individual to recognize the ways in which you have privilege. Because every single one of us in some way, shape, or form has privilege. Every single one of us in some way, shape, or form has the ability to be an ally for a different marginalized group that we're not a part of. So, for me, I guess I will give some examples of privilege that I have so that you understand that I know that I am not perfect and I know that I have privilege and hopefully it makes it easier for you to tune into yourself and be honest about ways that you might have privilege. So for me, some of the ways that I am privileged would include the fact that I am able-bodied. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My father is actually somebody who has an exceptionality. And when we are in public, he has a very prominent limp. And so I am constantly reminded while we're in public with him that people treat him different because of the fact, one, that he's black and we'll get into some other stuff, but because he has a very prominent limp, because he had polio, he got it when he was very young, uh, people talk to him like he's stupid. <laughs> they treat him very differently. They talk very slow to him sometimes. It's very interesting to see that. Two, um, I am also privileged because I do not have an accent even though I am an immigrant. Or at least I don't have the kind of accent that people would expect from me considering that I am an immigrant. And again, that kind of goes with... I had to... It's hard for me to talk about this because it is such a personal thing. But growing up, it was very early on. I'd say maybe beginning in middle school that I realized that I had a benefit because of not having an accent because my parents do and when again when we go out I will watch people talk to them like they're stupid whether it's in the tone that they use or how they choose to word things or how slow they talk or the kind of attitude they take with my parents I very at a very young age realized that the fact that I was an immigrant but didn't have an accent mean that I kind of got to hide that part of myself if I wanted to, whereas my parents can't. So for me, like, I have privilege in that people know that I'm black, but they don't necessarily know that I'm an immigrant, too, unless I choose to share that with them. Whereas my parents, they can't hide either of those facts, <laughs> even if they wanted to. I am also privileged in the sense that I have a name that does not hint at my race or ethnicity. My name, Verena, is actually a very popular German name. <laughs> and so this comes in handy when it comes to filling out applications for jobs or if I was to fill out an application for housing or for something at the bank or anything like that. Um, I don't have to worry about being discriminated against immediately just based on my name. I don't have to worry about whether or not the reason I'm not even able to get an interview is because people can tell from my name that I'm a person of color. Or the reason why I'm not able to even get a showing is because people can tell from my name that I'm a person of color. 
that's a privilege that I have. I have privilege because I have a degree. There are certain spaces that I have access to because of having a degree that other people who do not, it's not that they can't go in those spaces that people wouldn't necessarily consider that they would want to be in those spaces or that they'd be interested in it. And coupled with that, because of how I talk and because of how I personally choose to dress and my own personal sense of style, I have privilege because people often see me as a respectable, quote-unquote, black person. Like, quote-unquote, respectable black person. And people have said that out loud to me a few times. I've had people tell me when they found out that I was an immigrant, oh, well, you speak English so well, and oh, you know, or if they meet me in general, they're like, oh, well, you know, I like the way that you dress, or I like the way that you carry yourself you know, trying to give me a compliment as a black immigrant woman, but by putting other people of color and other black people down. (laughs) Um, And a way that this really benefits me, whether or not I want it to, it does, is the fact that when there are certain jobs or events, um, it's much easier for me to be allowed into those spaces because of how I talk and because of how I am dressed. And again, I dress how I want to. I'm not really worried about um, people perceiving me a certain way, but it doesn't change the fact that some people try to put me up on a pedestal as like a token black person. And I'm, you know, whenever somebody makes it apparent to me that they're doing that, I am very quick to be like, yeah, no, that's fucked up and this is why. And I'll explain, but I can't always know that. Like if somebody doesn't verbalize what they're feeling I can't know that the reason why they chose me over a different black person for the job is because of how I dressed and how I talked and I and they felt like it would quote-unquote represent the company better I can't know that so that's a privilege that I have um I am also privileged in the sense that I am somebody who's pansexual but unless I tell people that they don't know the assumption is that I am straight And to piggyback off of that, I am somebody who's open to ethical non-monogamy, and unless I communicate that to people, and I do with people that I'm romantically interested in, I let them know, like, hey, when I had a partner, hey, I have a partner, but we're in an ethically non-monogamous situation. But unless I'm romantically involved with somebody, I don't really talk about it, and I don't have to, and because of that, I don't have to deal with microaggressions from people who feel some type of way about it. So that's another way that I'm privileged. So, why do I bring this all up? Well, I think it's important to change on an individual level. You have to be willing to address where you have privilege, especially when it comes to what's going on right now. Because those places where you have privilege, as easy as it is to tune into guilt or shame, if you can move past those emotions, you can recognize those places of privilege as an opportunity to show up as an ally. 
instead of making it about yourself and you know getting in your feelings about it and saying well you know I don't I don't want that or I didn't ask for it yeah you didn't but it doesn't change the fact that you have it so how can you be an ally for how can you bridge the gap for people who are not privileged in that way to receive the same kind of treatment and respect and the same amount of opportunities as someone like you who does have privilege in that way you know when you are able to sit with yourself and think about your privilege and process whatever comes up you are that much closer to learning and finding ways that you can help to support and empower an ally for those who are not privileged in that way so i would challenge you you can pause this episode now or you can do it after you listen take some time and really sit with yourself and write down like different ways that you were privileged there are a lot of really good articles out that can also help you if you find it hard to really tune into the ways that you're privileged if you really need that like outside perspective to help show it to you there are a lot of articles and activities and questions that you can ask yourself and based on your answers it'll let you know what kind of privilege that you have um you know and then write it down and then for each thing that you write down as a way that you're privileged look up ways to be a good ally when it comes to that specific type of privilege I know. I've already given you homework and we haven't even started this conversation yet. That's so funny. Who does she think she is? <sighs> yeah. So, I really want this episode to be as grounded and as digestible as possible without sacrificing the truth of things. Without sacrificing, you know the reality of the situation because again we're here to microdose reality you know (laughs) so if I can make this as digestible as possible my hope and my intention is that I can give you not only practical suggestions on how to address and change things on the macro level but especially how to be a better ally or a better support in the day-to-day stuff because not everything is going to make it to the judicial system like there are a lot of things that I as a person of color experience on a day-to-day basis that I'm not going to go you know to the courts about like I'm not going to go to the courts about people trying to touch my hair or you know people like clutching their purses when I walk by them as if they think I'm going to steal from them or you know like people trying to people flipping me off while I'm driving because I'm going the exact speed limit not understanding that I refuse to go any faster especially now because I do not want to risk getting pulled over (laughs) things like that that's my intent with this episode is that I'm flipping through my notes because this was really important so I didn't want to miss anything I wanted to make my intent with this episode was to make things as practical as possible so that you can find real ways in your day-to-day life and not just on social media to show up better and more strongly 
So, before we really get into things, there's one other thing I feel I should talk about and address. If you feel like you need to take a step away or take a break from this episode because you are getting overwhelmed with your feelings and your emotions and your reactions to what I'm saying, please do. Okay? Take a break. Maybe take another 90 second silent moment and get grounded again. Another thing I would suggest, um, one thing I do, I have an anxiety jar. And it's a jar that I take and I fill it with 20 to 30 folded up slips of paper. And on each slip of paper, I write down different tasks or activities for myself, things that I know help calm me down. And anytime I feel overwhelmed, I will find that little jar and I'll shake it up really good and I'll stick my hand in and I'll pull out a random slip and then I do whatever is on the slip if it's possible. And I'll give you a list of a couple things that I will put on slips of paper well, not a couple, there's several um, things that I write down for myself, but you can write down things that work for you. They don't have to be the same. So for me, some of the things that I write down is draw or paint for 20 to 30 minutes. Another one, uh, reorganize your space, as in the furniture or, you know, the papers or the books. And I'll just do that until it's reached a point that I'm comfortable with. Uh, take a 15 to 20 minute walk. I only do that during the daytime. <laughs> Another thing, do a belly dance fitness video. I like doing those kinds of fitness videos. They don't feel like I'm really working out, but I am working out and they're fun. Um, another task, write in my journal. Another one, take a nap. One of my favorite ones. I always love when I get the slip. I'm just like, yes, thank, thank God. Thank the universe. Um, I'll put down, watch an episode of Steven Universe or Avatar The Last Airbender or Bob's Burgers. And those shows specifically because for me, they help me to calm down. Another slip that I'll have is um, self-pleasure. <laughs> because that can be very relaxing you guys but sometimes I'm too stressed I can't even do that to be perfectly frank another one take a bath or a shower another one tend to my plants now you might have noticed that all of these things that I've just mentioned are things that do not require another person to be involved and for me I did that on purpose as much as we are a species that needs and craves connection to another, I feel like it's really important, at least for myself, to feel empowered in dealing with overwhelming feelings and dealing with my anxiety, even when I'm alone. Because I can't always have somebody around. I don't always get that luxury. Or I might be around people, but they may not be people who I feel safe to express that I'm feeling overwhelmed with for whatever reason. So for me, I try to put things on my slips of paper that are things I can do on my own, but are also things that if I wanted to do with another person, I could. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. It's important to have healthy ways to process your anxiety 
and your frustration and any big feelings that come up because if you cannot remain in control of yourself when these feelings come up you can't really be an ally in the way that you want to be even if you truly want to be it so it is imperative whether you're an ally when it comes to race or an ally when it comes to homophobia or whatever it is imperative that you have healthy coping skills in place for when big feelings come up so that you can process them and still show up in the way that you want to. So, I'm going to take a bathroom break really quick. And if you want to, I mean, you're probably not going to notice that I'm gone, but I'll be right back. In the meantime, if you want to drink some water, smoke a cig, whatever you want to do, do it. Because we're about to get into it and it is not going to be comfortable. And I'm trying to prep you as much as possible for this. Not because it's really going to like rock your world necessarily, but it's just, it's not going to be the most comfortable thing to listen to or hear about or think about. So, so... I shall be right back, my loves. Alright, so I'm back. Alright, so let's get into it, huh? Oh my goodness, hold on. I gotta, like, get everything situated in a good spot. Alright. Allyship. I feel like it's important to distinguish that there are forms of allyship that are effective and there are forms of feigning allyship that, as far as I'm concerned, they're basically, they don't really do a whole lot anymore. Maybe they used to, but they don't now. So what am I really saying? If you are an ally, but the bulk of your support comes from social media and only on social media, I'm going to be honest with you, it's not enough. Not anymore. Now, (laughs) I've seen a lot of comments on social media about people complaining that if you're upset that people are only doing stuff on social media or if you're saying that social media isn't enough when at least people are doing something people have made the comment that they feel like that is divisive and it's like that people of color or people who are part of different marginalized groups should be grateful that at least they're doing something And while I am definitely going to acknowledge that everyone is in a different place when it comes to their social awareness journey and becoming socially aware, and some people, this is truly the first time that they really feel like they want to take a stand and they want to speak up. And so, you know, this is the first time that they're really being vocal about stuff, and that is a big step for them. I recognize that and I'm like, hey, look at you, you're out here and I appreciate the intent. There are other people that I think it is time for us to acknowledge and address 
There are people who are being allies for clout. Yeah, I said it. There are people who are being allies on social media. And maybe they'll even go to protests. And like, I bet a lot, I know a lot of people who claim to be allies who went to Standing Rock and big protests like that. But here's the thing. When it comes to things that happen in their day-to-day interactions, injustices that are happening right in front of them at work or around friends or in their homes with other people around, those kinds of injustices or racist things that are being said or microaggressions that are happening around them in their day-to-day lives, they remain silent. They don't do anything. Allies like that, for me as someone who's a person of color and a visible person of color, I don't feel supported by that. I'm I'm very hesitant around people like that. And I'm going to get into why I'm going to share a couple experiences with you from my own personal life to kind of help paint the picture of why it is important to recognize that certain types of allyship or feigning allyship are not really doing anything. <laughs> They're not really helping or supporting the people that they claim that they would. <clears throat> God, it's like, I don't, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to talk about it, but yeah. Okay, so the first experience. Uh, this happened with an ex-boyfriend of mine this was probably six years ago or so um but this boyfriend of mine him and his roommate had this group of friends that they would have over pretty consistently on the weekends and they would hang out with and we would all go out to bars or you know um go play ultimate frisbee or not ultimate frisbee but like frisbee golf um and you know just do stuff with and there was this one particular guy who was part of the group that I distinctly remember that they would all always complain about this dude, but they would always invite this dude. <laughs> and I, it always threw me off. Like, if you guys don't like this guy, like, why is why do you keep inviting him? Why is he here? Um, and looking back, I had to realize that the reason why they kept having him around was because when he was around they felt good about themselves in comparison to him but that's not even the point I'm here to make that's just something I had to realize over time so anyway there was this one night we were at my boyfriend and his roommate's house getting ready we'd been drinking at the house but we were getting ready to go out somewhere I don't know if it was a bar or a club or what but we were getting ready to go out and so most of us are outside on the walkway deck because they were on the second level and we're waiting for like a couple of the people who are still inside to come outside so we could all leave and while we're out there that particular guy the one that they all didn't like um he's saying some stuff I don't he wasn't really talking to anyone in particular because nobody was really paying attention to him but he still was talking as though all of us were paying attention to him and then at one point I think he started thinking I was paying attention to him because I looked at him but I wasn't, (laughs) but I remember 
he was saying some stuff and I tuned him out and I, I think I was stretching or something because I was just feeling really tense that day. And I remember he said something along the lines of, oh, whoa, you're like a monkey. And I didn't quite catch what he said, but my body like immediately got kind of hot. And so I turned around and I said, what the fuck did you just say to me? <laughs> and he repeats it and he calls me a monkey. And I immediately look at everyone else who's outside because my boyfriend was there and a couple of his friends were there and his roommate's friends were there. I think we were waiting on the roommate and the girlfriend who was still inside. Um, But they all, I'm looking around at them like, do you hear what the fuck he just said? None of them does or says anything. None of them even say that he's out on nothing. Like I I wait a few moments just to see if they're going to do anything Mind you, this boyfriend I'm talking about, he was mixed. He was half Latino and half white. I don't know if it was German or something else, but he was, he was mixed. And he had constantly brought up to me in our private times different racist things that he'd experienced while working in construction or working, you know, in other places or in just like different environments. Like he'd experienced a lot of racism for him being Latino and visibly Latino at that because his brother was also half Latino but passed as white for sure so they had two different experiences but he would talk to me about that and you know I would try you know listen and you know just let him know like yeah like you're totally valid in what you're feeling and because of those moments that we shared together I assumed that that meant that he would also show up and support me when we're out and about if racist things would happen so when that didn't happen i was sitting here like what the fuck (laughs) and all of his friends are there and they're all white uh except for i think one other guy who was also i think latino and they didn't fucking say anything i don't remember a whole lot after that moment i remember my whole body got really hot and then really cold And then the next thing I know, my boyfriend was having to hold me back from potentially punching this dude in the face. I didn't. I didn't actually put my hands on him, but apparently it got pretty close because my boyfriend was holding me back from him. And they were telling him we need to go. To go somewhere else. So, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because... In that moment, and I'm going to share another experience, but in this particular one, not only was I in a room of people who claimed that they were allies, who would post things on social media about injustices, I was also around my partner, my romantic partner, who I was exclusive with, who was a person of color. Even if they were mixed, they were still a person of color. And in my head, I thought I would be supported in what happened if anything should come up, if anyone should say something out of line. But no, they didn't do shit. (laughs) And in that moment, I felt so betrayed. I 
was so confused and angry, not just at what this man, this friend of theirs that they all didn't like, had said, but also in the fact that none of them did or said anything until after I got so upset that I apparently tried to punch him in the face. Do I support violence? I don't. I'm actually not a very violent... I'm not a violent person at all. But (laughs) the fact that they waited until things escalated that point to not even say something to him about what he... what was wrong about what he said, but just to try and get me to calm down, like, that's fucked up. That's not allyship at all. (sighs) So... That happened, and I'm going to express a different situation. This also happened with an ex of mine. This particular ex, uh, this happened probably last year. Oh, I think I might have given too many details because you guys would know who it was then. (laughs) But I'm also not out here trying to protect people. I'm not giving names, but I'm also not out here trying to, like, protect people either. Because these people did not protect me. So, this was with my last boyfriend, I guess I should say. Oof, yikes. So he, um... We were texting. There are two different things that happened that I'll talk about. But we were, um, both of them happened over text. And you might be like, oh, well that's weird. That's such a... You can apply being an ally while you're texting people? Yes. (laughs) So the first one, um, this was probably a few months into us being together. Um, He was texting me, and he sent me... He was texting me about how he's getting ready to uh, smoke. And he makes this joke, and he said, Oh, I'm about to get Chinese-eyed. Yeah, and then he sent me a picture on top of it of him pulling his eyes apart and making himself look Chinese-eyed, and apparently he thought that was funny. And apparently... (laughs) Uh, I remember I told him that's really racially insensitive like I'm not comfortable with you making jokes like that to me and I think he said that it was some kind of Cheech and Chong reference maybe I've never seen any Cheech and Chong movies so I didn't get the reference but even if I had it still to me was very racially insensitive and mind you He wasn't saying or doing something that was racially insensitive to black people. It was about a different race entirely, but I still called him out on it. And I told him, like, yo, I know that you were just trying to make a joke and you thought that you were being funny and cute, but this is really racially insensitive to Asian people and this is why. Um, Jokes like that make me feel uncomfortable bringing you around my friends who are of Asian descent because now I'm worried that you won't recognize that you're saying things or doing things that are microaggressive towards them. Yeah, these are all things I I said to him in text. I have no problem sending long texts when it's important. (laughs) And um, 
he got very defensive, of course, and I understood that. And even in me trying to educate him, I was like, look, I know that you didn't mean it in the way that you, that I'm taking it, but it doesn't change the fact that it was still not okay. A second thing that happened while I was in that relationship was that he ended up getting a ticket. He was texting me about this. I was actually out of town on a work trip. So he was texting me about what happened, but he got a ticket on the way, I don't know if he was on the way to work or if he was on the way to somewhere else, but he got a ticket and he was pissed off that he got a ticket, even though he admitted to me that he had been speeding and that he had actually changed lanes without using his turn signal and that his car reeked of marijuana. He admitted all these things to me, but still was complaining about the fact that he got the ticket and expecting me to pity him and make him feel better about it and I was very honest with him I was like look that sucks and like that's really stressful that said you're lucky that's all you got because if you were doing all the things that you just said you were and you had been a black man you would easily have been arrested in jail or potentially dead I said that to him (laughs) Uh, apparently that made me come across as not a supportive girlfriend but I just didn't understand why even in him admitting that he'd been doing all the things that warranted him getting a ticket um And the fact that he didn't even, the police officer didn't even search his car, even though he even told me that his car reeked of marijuana. Like, I couldn't understand how he, in that moment, talking to his black girlfriend as a white man, was expecting me to pity him for that. I didn't understand. And I called him out on it, but I was still very, like, understanding. I was like, look, I'm sure you're stressed and upset, and, you know, it sucks that you have to go through that, and it sucks that you now have to deal with that financially but those are the consequences of what you did yeah uh, after that happened I started noticing in our relationship that he would periodically just not respond to texts for me for days at a time and I'm talking like I would just text him like hey good morning or hey how are you and not hear from him for like a day or two (laughs) and like we might see each other and and it'd be fine and then again I might not hear from him via text for a while like he just didn't really want to text me anymore and so that kind of yeah essentially the fact that I was holding me accountable and bringing up ways that he was experiencing privilege or you know being racially insensitive made him feel like he wasn't safe to be himself with me but what frustrated me I think about that relationship was that he touted himself as an ally he touted himself as somebody who took the initiative to speak up on those things and to speak out about those things and so all of these things that were happening while we were together he didn't do these things when we were just dating when we were just seeing each other before we were exclusive so if I had seen this stuff early on in the relationship I would not have been in a relationship with him because I would have been like, oh, you're not really that, like, you're not really down for the cause the way you say you are. Or you're down for the cause as long as it's convenient for you. 
So, why am I bringing this all up? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. If you are an ally, whether it's with regards to racial matters or other types of marginalized groups, I'm going to be honest with you. Being an ally will feel like a full-time job very often. It will very often feel like that. Because guess what? Being a black person, that's 24-7. Like Being a person of color, that's 24-7. Especially if you're visible, you really don't get a break. But here's the tea. If every single person who was an ally actually showed up and paid attention to their day-to-day lives... to the visible people of color around them and what they're experiencing in their day-to-day lives, it wouldn't feel so overwhelming because if you actually took the initiative and the effort to show up and speak out, if every single person who claimed to be an ally was actually doing this in their real life, then we could all take turns. You know, like when we're all in a room together, I as a person of color, I'm looking to see if there's people in that room, whether I'm out socially or at a party or whatever, I'm looking to see who the people in the room are that I've seen be vocal about racial injustice and other types of injustices that are happening on social media. And in my head, I would I used to make the mental note of, oh, okay, so that's an ally. So if something pops off while we're out in public, I can trust and believe that this person's going to show up for me and they're going to support me and they're going to speak out. And I was wrong. <laughs> that's not always the case. You know, and when that happens, especially when you're a person of color and you're personally experiencing stuff and there's people in the room that you thought were allies and they don't speak up and they don't show up the way that they say that they would, you feel betrayed. You're literally sitting there like, et tu, brute? Like, really? (laughs) So I'm going to call back to something that I said in my first episode because it especially applies here, even though it can apply in a vast array of different situations and not just when it comes to being an ally and the thing is this people can only judge and assess you based on the words and the actions that you choose to take or not take they cannot know your secret intentions if you do not act on or take actions with those intentions in mind it's not possible we can't know in your mind that you would have spoken up but you were just really uncomfortable when you're the person who's part of the marginalized group that is you know experiencing whatever's happening in that moment and you see somebody in the room who claims to be an ally and they do nothing or they try to make excuses for it All you can assume is that they thought it was okay. They actually agree with whatever overt racism just happened or whatever microaggression just happened. All you can do based on their actions and words or the lack thereof is assume that they agreed with it. And the thing that you're not getting, that I think a lot of people are not getting, is that people who are legitimately racist and like feel no shame in it you know feel no guilt about it 
they take the lack of reaction by people around them as approval. They take the lack of being called out, the lack of people holding them accountable or challenging them, whether it's people of color, but especially if they're other white individuals or white passing individuals, they take your lack of reaction as approval and justification for them to continue. So, after having said all of this, what can we do on an individual level to be better allies? So glad you asked. Um, and I actually came up with this list because I've been seeing a lot of people posting on social media about it, and I really just wanted to put some more thought into it, because I brought up some in the last episode, but I wanted to think of some more. So, the first thing I would personally suggest, if you're an ally and want to find more tangible ways in your physical reality, not just your virtual one, to show up, Make the effort to introduce yourself to visible people of color in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex, aka when you see them while you're out and about, don't just do the quick little wave or like, hey, and go about your, and go about your business. No, go say hi. And another thing I might suggest, if you are somebody who likes to go for walks or runs in your neighborhood, and there are visible people of color that you know live there, when you're making the effort to say hi whenever that happens organically, or if you make it happen because you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go say hi because times are getting crazy out here, um, invite them to come with you because I guarantee that a lot of people of color would feel more comfortable going on walks and on runs in their neighborhood if they felt, one, like the people in their neighborhood who are white actually know that they live there and know that they belong to be there, but two, felt like they had somebody who would go with them. Still maintaining the social distancing, of course, but, you know, there's safety in numbers. So, consider that. What's the second thing I would suggest? On the days that you have the emotional and mental stamina to check in on your friends of color to listen ask them about their day and really listen and don't make it about you because apparently that's something that needs to also be said is for you to not make them expressing what they've experienced how their day is going and how they're vulnerable and like just being vulnerable and how they feel, you know, about everything that they've experienced since the last time they saw you. Don't make it about you. Don't start trying to make them pity you for the fact that you don't have to go through that. Don't, don't, please don't. If you don't have the emotional and mental stamina that, that day, then yeah, don't do it. But on the days that you do have it, whether you check in on your personal friends of color or to be honest, there are a lot of people who consider me their friend and I'm like, you're not really my friend, but I know that I'm probably the only black person that you feel comfortable calling friend. And so you say that so that you can feel like you're not one of the white people who doesn't have any black friends, but you don't really know anything about me and we don't really hang out very much and we don't really, you know, whatever. So go 
like reach out to people of color that you know or even that you work with and like show up for them create a safe space for them to process or talk about what they're feeling right now a place for them to not have to be strong and not have to be on the defense even if it's just for a moment okay so what's another suggestion that I would have for people who want tangible ways to be an ally in their physical reality well be more intentional about who you do business with and where you spend your money asterisk this is if you are somebody who can afford to do that because I know that not all of us have the financial ability to be picky about where we buy our groceries from or who we do business with as a business owner like not everybody has that privilege but if you are somebody who does have it use it use your money to financially support businesses who are being vocal and financially supportive of people of color find businesses owned by people of color too and support them but asterisk make sure that the owners and the managers of color who own those businesses aren't on some respectability politics bullshit (laughs) put a pin in that we're going to talk about that later I may or may not share an experience that I had with that, but we're going to talk about respectability politics bullshit later. So yeah, use your money to show your support. Four, if you see a person of color being pulled over or detained and handcuffed and you have the ability to do this, please stay, please watch, And if you feel like the situation warrants it, please record what is happening. I know that people are hearing this and they're seeing this all over social media, but for some reason, when it happens in their real life, for some reason, I think they're like, oh, well, this one doesn't seem so bad or he probably really... No, don't assume that you know what's going on if there's a person of color and they're getting arrested detained pulled over and you have the ability to do this stay watch and record why one because it shows the police officers that they are being visually held accountable for whatever they do from that moment forward and that there will be witnesses to what they do should things have to go to court later two why should you Because it shows the person of color that they are not alone in what is very likely a traumatizing experience for them. It shows them that they are not invisible in what they are experiencing in that moment. Even if nothing escalates, just being a person of color and being pulled over... I know for me, I've never actually gotten a speeding ticket or a ticket of any kind, but I have been pulled over a few times over some bullshit. (laughs) And both times I was like, I could die today. This could be how I go. And there's no one here. Like, I'm just going to die. And would people even know? Would my friends even know for a while? I don't know. 
so all right those are just a few more and practical ways that i feel people could be allies i mean besides the obvious like if you're at work and one of your coworkers of color is dealing with a customer or a client who's being unreasonable like for me like i've been cussed out by clients and to be frank like none of my coworkers spoke up for me now mind you they might have been busy and didn't hear what happened but it still made me feel like wow i could be dealing with some racist shit right now and y'all aren't really doing anything so i still have to like i still felt alone in that moment and i'm i'm the only visible person of color i said visible um i'm the only visible person of color at my particular location uh at one of my jobs so honestly like i oftentimes do feel alone whenever things are happening or things are escalating with customers or clients and they're like wow i don't i don't really know what happened there and not even just at my current job like past ones where things escalated and my coworkers would be like oh he's usually so nice or they're usually not like that i don't i can't understand why i'm sitting here like hmm i wonder why that client the one time they interacted with a person of color all of a sudden did not act the way that they did with the rest of you who are not people of color <laughs> i wonder why and okay i'm gonna do a couple deep breaths myself right now because i can feel myself getting a little frustrated and it's totally fine but i need to be calm for this next part so i'm just gonna take a few breaths really quickly So, remember that thing that we put a pin in? Respectability politics. Why did I say that? Why did I make that distinction about people of color? Well, first, I'm going to tell you that if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably on a device that has internet access. So, my suggestion would be that you pause this and Google respectability politics. And then after you've read the definition, you can come back here. Okay, so you're back. It is important to make that distinction. And it is important to recognize that unfortunately, there are people of color who live by that belief. There are people of color who feel that they are safe as long as they distinguish themselves from other people color, from other people of color. They feel that if they don't dress a certain way, or if they don't talk a certain way, or if they work certain jobs, or live in certain neighborhoods, that they are safe, that they can prove that they are one of the quote unquote good ones. Let me tell you right now people of color who live by this are people who subconsciously think that the people of color who don't live like this and who don't live like them secretly deserve that treatment 
Yeah. People of color who ascribe to respectability politics would rather do whatever they can to make white people or people in positions of authority over them comfortable than actually show up and support the very people that they are going to be grouped with by white people anyway. I'm bringing this up because whether you're a person of color or you're an ally, it is important to realize that unfortunately not all people of color are going to speak up about racism. Some are going to remain quiet and some of them are even going to make excuses for it or they're going to cater to it. And that's a self-defense mechanism. It is. But it doesn't change the fact that it happens and that it's not okay. If you're an ally, I need you to understand that you cannot assume that if there is another person of color in the room, that that means you don't have to speak up on shit that's happening because they're going to do it. Just like if you are a socially aware person of color, unfortunately, we've probably all experienced situations where we realized that just because there was another person of color in the room didn't mean that we would have support when we spoke up. When I personally have been in rooms like that, it does break your heart. It hurts your heart. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. <laughs> and this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. And I want to disclaim before I say anything else, I am only speaking on my experiences. I am not saying that this is what is the norm or that this is what happens for other people. But these are my experiences. When I have been in rooms or in situations where the only other people of color were either white passing or mixed with white, 90% of the time when something racist or microaggressive would happen or be said, the other person of color who was mixed or white passing either didn't say anything or they made excuses for it or they played into it a couple times, which in turn made the white people in the room feel like the behavior or the words that were racist or microaggressive were okay. And that frustrated the hell out of me as the one person of color in the room who was actually trying to speak up on it or speak out about it later if it was a situation where I didn't feel physically safe to do it in the moment. Because sometimes that happens, unfortunately, where you realize that you are outnumbered and you are not going to be physically safe if you speak up right then and there. You have to wait. <laughs> now, I am going to say this. I'm not mixed, and I'm not white passing, so I don't know the struggle of trying to feel connected to both white people and feel connected to my ethnicity or trying to feel connected to my culture and my race, knowing that I don't really look like what people would expect from that. But I can tell you that being the only person of color in a room who is willing to call out racist behavior or speech, whether it's overt or microaggressive, that hurts my heart. It hurts my heart for myself because 
in that moment, I feel or I felt alone and as though I had no support. I hurt to myself for the other people of color who were there because clearly it showed me that they have self-hatred that they need to work through. Or some kind of inferiority complex that they need to work through. And I hurt myself for the white people involved because they now had come away from an experience thinking that that kind of behavior or that kind of speech was okay since only one person of color had a problem with it. And what's worse is that the people who are racist, who were in those moments doing the thing or saying the thing, especially unfortunately in the moments where I didn't feel like I was physically safe to speak up at that time and had to wait till later, they came away from those situations feeling justified in their thoughts, in their beliefs, and in their behaviors because nobody did anything. So, <laughs> when you as a person of color or an ally come to me privately after something happens in those kinds of situations and you're telling me, oh, I don't identify with that or I didn't agree with what that person said, I thought it was wrong, I'm going to be honest with you, that doesn't change the fact to me that because you did nothing in the moment to call it out or to challenge it, the person who said and did those things probably took your silence as approval. And for me, as the person of color in that moment experiencing it or witnessing it and seeing you as a quote-unquote ally do fucking nothing, I'm sitting here looking at you like, oh, so you're only an ally when it's convenient for you, which is very rarely going to be the case in real life, so I can't depend on you. You are not somebody who is going to contribute to maintaining a safe space for someone like me. Yeah. Yeah. Just things to think about, okay? So I'm going to close with this. I know that we've talked about a lot of things that probably made you uncomfortable. That probably brought up some overwhelming feelings. And if not, you know, okay, cool. But if so, like, yeah, I kind of expected as much. And if that's the case, good. Good. Take time to go process those feelings. And when you're done, dig deeper. I would challenge you to dig deeper and get to the root of it. And the root of the issue, the root of why you felt triggered, whatever it is, and heal it. And how do you heal it? Well, when it comes to racial injustice and the part that you play in either speaking out against it or silently supporting it, well, you educate yourself. You educate yourself on your own time so that when you are in public, you can recognize things happening around you on your own and don't have to rely on a person of color telling you that it's happening because unfortunately, like I've just discussed, not all people of color are going to even say something, whether it's because of the fact that they are on some respectability politics bullshit or because they feel as though they're not physically safe to do so, or they feel as though they're not going to be supported since they're in a room where either they don't know anybody there, 
or they don't feel like any of the people there who claim to be allies are actually going to show up. And also, it's important to educate yourself so that when things happen or are said that are racist or microaggressive, you can be an ally and challenge it even when there's no one of color in the room to witness it. Because that's when it's most important. That's when people need to be held accountable the most. They need to know that even when there's no person of color in the room, no one who is part of the marginalized group that is being spoken about or that, you know, the hateful speech is being said about, the person who's doing it needs to know that even when they're in a room of white people that they think that they're safe to do and say those things around, they're going to be held accountable. So if you're going to be an ally and you're trying to do it full time, guess what? That means that you're going to be an ally in situations where there is no person of color to pat you on the back for it. And you need to be okay with that. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. I know it's longer than my other ones and I know it's it's heavier than the other ones. I really hope that you will come away from this and feel motivated to do your own research to connect with and speak to the people of color in your life and hear their experiences and take the initiative to show up for them and ask them how you can support them. Because at the end of the day, this is going to have to be a micro to macro kind of change. It's not going to be from the top down. It's not going to be a government mandated thing that fixes everything else. It has to start with us individually and in our one-on-one interactions, in our interactions with our friends, in our workplaces, in our communities, and work out from there. That's the only way that this kind of shit's going to be lasting and long-term. I love you guys. Thank you so much.